0: Welcome everybody to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show where i your rabbi reveal how the world really works and of course one day one way in which the world really works is by showing that happy warriors live better lives than everybody else. Right. So I welcome each and every one of you as a happy warrior to the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show. I think of you heroic men enduring the scorching days of summer and the frigid days of winter nonetheless going to work early every morning, regardless of the weather and regardless of how you feel, because you've disciplined yourself, and you've improved yourself, and you make it your mission to watch over your spouse and your children if you have them, and you make it your mission to take care of your business, generating cash flow, and doing what your head tells you you must do when your head tells you that it must be done. You, who ignore your heart's desires to indulge the body's seductive whisper, and instead you boldly heed the clarion call of responsibility to those you are strong enough to support and brave enough to care about. Yes, you are the army of the righteous." You are the noble knights defending the fortress of civilization against those hungry hordes of scheming and surging savages out there trying to invade and conquer what you and your fathers have built. The barbarians know that even after they destroy the civilization you built— as they wretchedly crawl through the wrecked ruins, that they will still live better there than in anything they ever have or ever could build for themselves. Only you stand between the nightmare of socialistic slavery and the bright hope of tomorrow, and you beautiful and brave women resisting government's treacherous proposal to marry it rather than accepting a golden ring from one clear-eyed man dreaming of a shared tomorrow. You gorgeously courageous women who smilingly and graciously carry the load of work, marriage, and family, inspiring your man to greatness and nurturing your young ones to moral maturity as well as physical... Yes, you men and women, you happy warriors who do all this and have done all this. Yes, I see you as the natural audience of the Rabbi Daniel Appenshow. You are the audience I am proud to devotedly serve, recognizing that every day that I can bring you the helpful, life-affirming insights of ancient Jewish wisdom, well, That is just another day of privilege for me, because you are not a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. You've got your hand on the steering wheel of your life. As William Ernest Henley's great poem Invictus ends, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Because you are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life, it is indeed my honor to serve you all, and my delight to welcome you to another episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your Rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Yes, that's right. This is the only show in the entire digital universe that reveals how the world really works. And one way that the world really works is that not only do happy warriors build more successful lives for themselves and for their families than other people, but also that happy warriors have a clear understanding of mouths and speech. They know what speech is and they understand what a mouth is all about. You know, it's an interesting thing, but uh, the good Lord chose to use exactly the same orifice for the intake of fuel as for the output of speech, which is odd, right? Because God was hardly limited. The uh, body of the human being could have come out many different ways, You know, what would be so bad if we had a a mouth where it is? And then in the middle of the forehead, we have another orifice that opens when we have something to say and closes the rest of the time. And that way we could even talk while we eat, which at the moment, as things really are, is quite impossible. Now, you think of that and you giggle and you say, that would look rather ridiculous, but that's only because you're not used to it. But if that's the way we all looked... would be just fine. So, the principle of ancient Jewish wisdom is that we always try to understand the moral significance of the way the body is structured and the way the body works. And so, um, what is it? What can we hear from it? Well, what we understand then is that food, the fuel that keeps us going, right? This is like uh, what gasoline is to your motor car. Uh, No, I'm not going to talk about the electrical socket for electric cars. That's uh, definitely uh, not part of my thinking. So um, uh, the, the place where you plug in, where you pour in Gasoline, where you put the spout from the the gasoline pump, that's you know that's the equivalent of the mouth if you like. That without that we don't operate. So somehow it would suggest that the purpose of the fuel is to enable speech. That's very interesting. So speech seems to then be something quite different from anything else. Uh, you know, we have input mechanisms using the language of uh, the digital world today input mechanisms like eyes for visual input and ears for audio input and we have touch and we have smell and inside our mouths we have tongues for taste all of that is input but on the output side there's really only mouth and hands you can do things with your hands and you can say things with your mouth isn't that odd only those two things so the physical things we do are less important because they're not so closely tied. They're not so closely tied at all to, the, um, uh, to the, the, the basic purpose of the fuel input, but the fuel input is tied directly to the output of speech. So there are two ways we have of impacting the world. One is through speech, and the other is through action and it is speech that is tied to the fuel intake, as if to say, hey, the whole reason you're eating is in order to be able to speak, but surely doing is more important than speaking. Well, one thing that is for sure is that it is virtually difficult, it's virtually impossible, verging on on impossible, to do things effectively if you haven't actually put them into words first. And that is why if uh, somebody came to you and said, hey, would you like to invest in my company? And you say, well, tell me about it. He says, come watch me. And you walk after him and he goes into a building and you see him operating a uh, machine tool and uh, and he takes a piece of metal and um, and, and things happen, and routers were, and parts of it get carved off, and then it goes into a lathe, and it gets in a new circular shape. You know, you watch this for 20 minutes, and eventually you say, well, what's the business? And he says, well, can't you see, you know, I'm making the product right now. What more could you possibly want to know? And your answer to him is, you know, I'm really sorry. It's just not something I'm interested in. And off you go. Whereas another person comes to you and he or she says, "Uh, I'd like to have coffee with you. I want to run an idea by you. And you sit down and this person talks so eloquently and so articulately that in 10 minutes, he or she is described to you, a really exciting business idea they've thought up a product or a service that really will help people and change people's lives for the better and they figured out a way of delivering it and they figured out a way of uh, of how people will pay for it and they figured out the uh, uh, the the competition And meanwhile, after 20 minutes there, you're virtually ready to invest some money in this idea because it's something you think will do well, and you want to be part of it, and you want to make a profit, yet you haven't seen a single action. All you've had are words. That's quite right. So a business plan is absolutely essential. And that's one of the reasons that I have written and spoken extensively, and many of you will have the books and the audio programs. Uh, whether it's um, uh, Thou Shalt Prosper, the book, or whether it's the uh, Partnership Power on the audio side, uh, or on many of these podcasts, you will have heard me say many times how important it is to write down the plans for the week over the weekend, meaning exactly the things you want to accomplish, and then to write down the specific things each day, and then to evaluate the day and write down how the day went at the end of the day, I've, I speak about this all the time. We even publish a journal at our website, on the store of the website, chart your course, because writing down makes all the difference in the world. Now, you may be among those many, many, many people who feel enormous resistance at that idea. And, and you just find it hard to sort of put things down on paper. It worries you. Maybe it's the idea that it's a commitment and you don't want to tie yourself down and you don't want to restrict yourself because once it's written down, you're going to feel like a failure if you don't finish the things at the end of the day. There are a lot of reasons like that why many of us experience extreme uh, pain at writing down the things we are to accomplish. But with any life experience at all, you know that without words, there is no effective action. It just doesn't happen. And that is what's so absolutely fascinating about the mouth. Now, just to put one more thing into perspective, yes, there are primarily two ways we have of impacting the world words and hands. But obviously, the most powerful way of impacting the world is by bringing a child into the world, right? But you knew that. And then shaping that child. And so, obviously, uh, particularly for women, but again, it really is for both because a woman needs a man to bring a child into the world, and a man needs a woman to bring a child into the world. But in order for that child to truly be a walking, talking reflection of themselves, in order for you, whoever you are, to be able to imprint yourself indelibly on that tiny little being who's going to grow up capable of, who knows, doing almost anything. For that, if you're a man, you need a wife, and if you're a woman, you need a husband. The challenge of imprinting yourself on your offspring without a spouse is almost insurmountable. I'm not uh, being mean and nasty to single mothers or single fathers. Uh, It's actually, I think, helpful for people if I speak the truth. It's not without pain, I assure you. As a matter of fact, there are many things I say which cause the most pain of all to me. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I too am human, as I know only too well. So, of course, uh, saying the truth cannot be in any way diminished, particularly helpful truth, by the fact that, yes, it will cause some pain. And I do understand that, obviously. But uh, the mouth, hugely important. And as a matter of fact, here is a difficult question, and again, not to cause any pain whatsoever, but um, you know what, I don't need to keep going with these caveats. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is, and you, as a happy warrior, I know you can handle it. Uh, but I'll say it, and that is that, uh, think about it, what is it ultimately that distinguishes rape from consensual intimacy? Wouldn't you agree that it is speech, right? What has happened between the time that a man spots a woman across the room and he says to himself, I want that woman in my life in every possible way, and them standing beside one another in front of a congregation and a minister and in the eyes of God becoming bonded to one another, what has happened in between? And then comes the marriage night, and they are together. Why is that okay? But had he acted five months earlier on his first sighting, it would have been rape. What's happened is speech. There have been hours and hours and hours and hours of talking going on between them. So, it's a hugely important thing. What distinguishes a bloody war from diplomacy and debate? Well, again, it's speech. And so this is something very important because not only must we realize that your mouth is your most important organ for social connection, but it's also your most important organ for creating revenue, for making money. Unless, of course, you are a swimsuit model. And in that case, everything is different. But for the rest of you, right, I'm having tried to become a swimsuit model at one point. I'll include myself in that category. But uh, as I've often told you, uh, I was rejected. And that was what persuaded me that anti-Semitism is still rife in, uh, in the uh, modeling industry. There's no question about it. And so, uh, if you're not a swimsuit model, well, then your mouth, your ability to speak becomes hugely important, and you've got to realise. And I'll explain a little more why it is that even if you are not in a talking profession, you're you're an engineer, and uh, and, and I was that. I must tell you, my first few months in that field were so miserable that I asked to be uh, uh, moved, I asked to be reassigned to the sales side of the international electrical conglomerate that I had the honor of serving, and uh, because I couldn't stand being in a lab all day with nobody to talk to, and nobody to talk to me. I wasn't able to do it, so I gravitated very comfortably and naturally to the sales and marketing side And and that was very, very comfortable for me. So, uh, but even if you're not in that area, if you are in the engineering side, uh, the extent to which you are promoted, the extent to which you get offered new jobs, the extent to which you're able to generate excitement at your project, all of those things, heavily dependent upon your use of your mouth. It's It's really amazing. And what's also important to realize is that uh, we all exercise, don't we? We exercise our arms. We exercise our legs. We exercise our heart. You do cardio exercises. We exercise our torso and our core muscles. And many, many people uh, know a whole lot about that. They know how they're exercising and what they're exercising. And um, what do they not exercise? What nobody... I shouldn't say nobody, because many of you happy warriors have told me that you have followed these teachings that I've presented elsewhere, and uh, and so some of you do. But what do most people not do? They exercise arms and legs and everything. But the speaking ability, the muscle for communication, that they don't speak, they don't exercise very much at all. And uh, the truth is that for happy and successful living, you need to exercise your physical body, but you also have to exercise your spiritual. And one of the most important parts of our spiritual being is our ability to communicate. And when you develop your ability to speak properly, when you develop your mouth muscle, when you reach greater fluency in communication, not only do you find that you are speaking more effectively, but you are also writing more effectively. And again, hugely important, both socially when you can write a fine letter, but also very much in terms of business, when you can write a sales proposal, when you can write a a report, when you can write a business idea or a plan, all of these things flow from the mouth and from speech. And these are predominantly spiritual capabilities. And that's why it is that... uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the words are, and the Lord God formed the man, dust from the earth. And then comes this peculiar few words, and he breathed into his, into his nose the spirit of life. But he was already alive. And we know that because the same term formed is used for forming the animals, only 12 verses away. And so the act of forming is to make him alive. And as a matter of fact, as I've explained elsewhere, the Hebrew word for the forming of man is a higher level word than the Hebrew word for the forming of animals, even though the English translation. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says formed for uh, man and it also uh, a number of verses later says formed for animals but the Hebrew is the difference so if he's already a living creature ancient Jewish wisdom explains that the phrase and God breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life (laughs) you know what that is gave him the ability to speak that's all And that's why it is that a number of years back when all kinds of people were enthusing about Coco the gorilla and Coco the gorilla was speaking and he was getting better and better any day, it was only going to be a matter of time before Coco the gorilla was able to express his political preferences and Coco the gorilla would be capable of leading human beings. And at the time, it didn't take any great wisdom to be able to say you're all dreaming that's never going to happen. Coco the gorilla is not doing anything. You're certainly projecting certain things onto him, and you've decided to interpret certain perfectly normal and natural gorilla-like activities he engages in as speech. But it isn't, because these words indicate that the ability of speech, the, the capability of speech, was something given uniquely to human beings. Do whales and dolphins communicate with one another? Obviously. Do bees communicate with one another? Obviously. But it's always about basic things. Bees do not hold symposiums on the dressing and clothing style of beekeepers. And uh, whales do not have convocations to discuss the proliferation of Japanese factory fishing ships, right? They don't. How do I know? <laughs> trust me. Uh, I don't often say that, but on this one you can go ahead and trust me. So um, so here's the thing. Look, um, I have negligible artistic talent. Negligible. And uh, I think the same is true for Susan as well. Neither of us have any native artistic talent. Um, but we, neither of us, was even able to sort of sketch in in anything other than terms that were indistinguishable what children from what children did in kindergarten. Um, but you know what happened is on one summer vacation. Oh, which we're not going to be doing for several reasons this year. Uh, on one of our boating vacations, uh, Susan particularly devoted some time to learning to write, to draw. And she got books that she brought along. And we were fascinated because little by little, it showed us how to draw a perfectly acceptable flower. And it was like there was no way we knew how to do that. And then several flowers together and then some basic animals. And like anything else including making omelets, something that appears unattainably magical becomes quite doable if you have the know-how. And so, look, I'm I'm never going to be able to be an artist. I'm never going to be able to make any money at all from drawing or painting. But uh, I will probably be able to sketch acceptably. You know, so if... Uh, if the uh, the the guy at the airline's office who lost my suitcase asked me what it looks like, I won't even have to uh, look at the chart. I'll take a piece of paper and do a picture of my suitcase and, and it'll be fairly decent. A whole lot better than it would have been before I started thinking seriously about improving my ability to draw. Now, uh, does everybody have to become... Uh, a great orator does everyone have to become a great speaker no of course not but we can all become better than we are how much better well i think the measure that i like using is that you should be able with with preparation i'm not saying necessarily on the spur of the moment it, i don't know too many people who could get up on the spur of the moment to give a speech certainly not me but uh With preparation, to be able to get up and give a five-minute toast at your cousin's wedding that sounds heartfelt and warm, and it makes people laugh, and it adds joy to the occasion, and it is not focused on yourself, it is not narcissistic, but you bring joy to the bride and groom, Uh, that is a level of effective communication that each and every one of us should be able to reach. The ability to, uh, uh, if you know, if if your boss at work says, uh, would you be able tomorrow to be able to give a presentation? We've got some people coming in, and we have to explain to them what we're doing on the current project. We want somebody to get up and do a five-minute presentation of what we're doing, or a 10-minute, whatever it is. And uh, we wondered if you'd be able to do that. And your answer is absolutely, thank you for the opportunity. I would love to, and I will be working on it till late tonight. And and yes, indeed, uh, you might think that the most important thing now is to get a good night's sleep tonight. You really don't. Rather put the extra time into preparation. Adrenaline will see you through the next day. The speech will be terrific. And then you can catch up on sleep the next night but you know that level of effective communication is something we should all be able to teach ourselves and uh, and give ourselves the ability to do and um, and you should be able to completely put away the absolute terror that public speaking is for so many people but not for you because you have seen the importance What we can do with our hands is hugely important, but what we can do with our mouths is magnificently unlimited. So, uh, everything you do, no matter whether you are indirectly in sales or directly in sales. Indirectly, I mean, even if you're an engineer. Selling yourself is something we each and every one of us do every day. If you're a teacher teaching at a university or a college or a school, or if you're teaching, my goodness, what could be more important than your speaking ability? Not a whole lot, right? Uh, If you are selling goods and services, the impression you make on other people is first of all visual, but the very next part of it is how you sound. When you quote your price, people are unconsciously listening to how you sound. Do you sound up market or down market? Does the price you quote, is it matched by who you are? And we measure who you are by how you sound, the things you say and how you say them. They certainly do look at your deliverable, the, th- the the goods or the services you're providing, and they certainly do look at how you appear, no question. But the way you sound is very, very important indeed. So let's take a look at some of the things that you should say and some of the things you shouldn't say. Let's talk about some of the things, the technical aspects of speaking, because what I'm hoping to do is very much hoping to inspire you to write down a solemn and serious commitment to yourself to improve your communication muscle, improve the way you connect and communicate, and to then actually set about doing it. So some of the technical things, well, first of all, the sound of your voice. Very few people realize that you can actually change the sound of your voice. Not without limit, you know, if you have a falsetto voice, you're not gonna become a baritone, that's not gonna happen. But you can certainly make sure you stop squeaking And that you would no longer speak in a falsetto that disturbs people. Ridiculously extreme example. But everybody can improve their ability to actually how you sound. And that's number one. One thing is to focus in all your speaking on keeping your modulation going all the way through the word. What many of us tend to do is we drop our voices as we come to the end of a word, and very often the final syllable of the word is lost, and people have to work a little harder to listen to you because their minds have to insert, their minds have to figure out the missing consonant and insert it. So you don't want that to happen. And so you want to make sure that you keep the volume up all the way through the word. Now, one way to do that is if you are lucky enough to have a smartphone, your smartphone might already have a voice recorder app on it, or if it doesn't, just go ahead and find one and download it. But what you're looking for is an app that actually presents a visual depiction of your voice as you're speaking in the form of a graph. Uh, Many uh, sound editing uh, programs or sound recording, you should be able to find something fairly easily, and you will be shocked because you will notice that there is an enormous difference in the shape of a sound if you keep the pressure up, if you like, all the way through the word. And you'll find that you can say the same word and it comes out a very thin wave form. Or you can say the word fully and it comes out as a much wider wave form. Obviously, it takes more energy to speak that way. Literally, it does. It's harder to speak that way. And that's one of the reasons that we automatically devolve downwards into the lazier form of speaking. Uh, but if you catch that, makes a huge difference in how you sound. Another thing is speaking from your diaphragm, from your stomach, and not from your mouth. Again, it's easier. And so we, our bodies always take the lazier, easy route. If we give them any choice at all, that's what they do. And they try and uh, speak from the mouth you will get a much better sound if you push the air out all the way from your stomach. If you put your hand lightly on your belly button while you're speaking, you will be able to feel quite easily the difference between pushing the air out from your mouth or from deep down in your stomach or your diaphragm probably more accurately. But uh, at any rate... Um, you know, now don't do these exercises on the train or on the bus to work in the morning because you'll attract extremely odd glances from people. Uh, you either need to be with a very trusted uh, companion or perhaps just by yourself. But um, those are some of the things. And by the way, these aren't the last words, but I, I just want to give you an idea of some of the things you can do. Obviously, if you get committed to really improving the way you sound, well, you'll probably go out and get some books. And there are some very good ones. There's also rubbish out there, as there always is. So be careful not to waste your precious time um, on something that isn't really going to give you the information you need in order to sound more authoritative, compelling, and, and just easier and more pleasant to listen to. So those things are uh, certainly very important. And also uh, very important is vocabulary. And I've spoken extensively in the past. It is also uh, very much in uh, my books, information on how to change, how to improve your vocabulary and how to expand your vocabulary. You really do need to do that. That's critically important. Again, it doesn't mean you need to be able to go on a quiz show or be able to solve every single crossword in in the daily newspaper. Uh, but an expanded vocabulary, very much and very, very important. By the way, on a deepest level, it is frustrating for human beings not to be able to adequately express themselves. And I'm sure, like me, you've also had many occasions when you find yourself grasping for precisely the correct word to use, and it just doesn't come, and it's so deeply frustrating. Um, It is possible that some violence comes from the fact that so many young males today do not have any means of effective communication. There is a heavy dependence on obscenity and swear words, and uh, there is inadequate education to provide a satisfying mode of expressing themselves. And violence, again, if you're not going to use your mouth, you use your hands. We're back to that connection between mouth and hands again where being able to use the mouth is critically important. And, in fact, even if ultimately you have to use your hands, either in battle or in creativity, having it mapped out with words first can very often make the difference between triumph and defeat. So please, um, please do think very seriously about these things because they are things that will make a huge difference in the important parts of your life, social, family, and finance. Um, Speaking to God, of course, is uh, much different because God has a much better sense of what you're trying to say maybe than even you do yourselves, and that's something we've all realized. Now, having spoken about some of the technical aspects of speaking, let's now go to the things we should never say. Now, we should explore what are those things that we should not use our mouths for, and why am I choosing to, first of all, discuss the negative, the things that we would be best off not using our mouths for, rather than the things we should, which I'm going to do next, and the reason for that is something I've discussed in the past, and That is the principle that in the area of improving ourselves, in the area of making ourselves more than we are, and bigger than we are, getting rid of bad habits is the first step, and only after that does it make sense to explore acquiring the desirable characteristics. And it's one of the reasons that uh, in the book of Psalms, King David says, turn away from evil. And seek good. He doesn't say seek good and turn away from evil. It's much better to first of all turn away from evil and then work on seeking good. Um, If you've got some bad habits you're trying to get rid of, there are also some good things you're trying to acquire, um, get rid of something bad first and that fills you with great and unshakable resolve for achieving uh, the next level. You know, let's say you want to lose weight all right now i'm not picking on that one but uh it's just an easy example and um and you think i've really got to start uh working out i've got to do 40 minutes of cardio exercises every day sounds like a lot to me but okay that's what you decide you got to do and um the good news is you can be listening to the rabbi daniel lapin show while you're doing it oh That's good. Well, that makes sense. 40 minutes is something that will pass in no time at all. Uh, But at the same time, you also know that you have this consistent habit of uh, heading to the refrigerator Um, late at night. You know, you take a little nap and you wake up hungry at 2 a.m. and you head over to the fridge where you always make sure to have a carton of a few chocolate cream eclairs residing there and uh, I pick chocolate cream eclairs because I think they could almost get me to get up at two in the morning and go to the fridge but uh, there they are and you think to yourself you know what I think I'll first start uh, 40 minutes a day of cardio and then I'll gradually get used to the idea of not going to the fridge in general your quest for a healthier body will be more effectively reached by, first of all, stopping the nightly pilgrimage to the refrigerator, and only once you got that under control, to then actually pick up on the exercise. So, let's talk, first of all, then, about the, uh, the negatives, the things you shouldn't say. Okay, you know the rule that in the Lord's language, in Hebrew, whenever one word seems to have two meanings, those two meanings merge together. And we only actually obtain the ultimate meaning of that word when we do merge what apparently are two separate meanings together until they form some kind of new reality. And it's important that the word devarim, which in Hebrew means words, also means bees, right, like honey. And we have to ask ourselves, now, what, what is there about bees and words that are the same? And I'm sure you've immediately already descended upon the answer like a bee on a flower. And that is that both bees and words can produce stings or honey, one or the other. It is hard to think of a way you can hurt a person more than with your mouth really so now you know you could you could punch or slap somebody yeah, that that's for sure you could but the pain of that goes away far more quickly than the pain from a carelessly or maybe deliberately used word so one has to be enormously aware of what we use our words for. There was a couple, actually I was going to say we were friendly with them, we see a lot less of them than we used to, largely for the following reason, and that is that from the time they got married, their form of humor was a biting, cutting down of each other. Very funny, by the way, they are both very smart people, but not wise people. Smart and wise don't always go together. And they were very smart because they came up with such funny takedowns, but they weren't wise because it was easy to tell in their company that every now and again, one of those clever takedowns struck too close to home. And you could see by sometimes an involuntary grimace or sometimes just by pain in the eyes, that what one of them had said to the other, husband to the wife or wife to the husband, funny as it might have been, hurt. And um, it became uncomfortable to be around them. Not surprisingly and tragically, I have to tell you, uh, their children that we watched grow up over the years uh, have not done very well because. The children never really had parents. They had a mother and they had a father. But the mother and father were not united in a marriage. They were united in a geographic, socioeconomic way. Right? Many couples are like that. They are united by virtue of the fact that they live at the same address and they have a socioeconomic arrangement. They, they share a last name and they share money. But a marriage? No, that it isn't. And uh, that is very important. So uh, one of the things that, um, that if you're single, you may not know deeply inside of you as well as a married person knows, and that is that nobody can hurt you as much as your spouse can by words. Conversely, nobody can do more for you. Nobody can make you feel better than a spouse, again, by using words and so perhaps the uh, the first thing to think about is that words can heal or they can harm they can be sweet or they can sting and it just is not that many cases in our lives when it makes sense to use words that sting and if you think about it you know how many times are there where you actually would be wise to use words that sting? It's true, they may be clever, and you'll come across as smart, but not likable. And the person who's at the receiving end of those stinging words is certainly not going to feel warmer toward you or closer to you. And so to be able to evaluate words before you say them is the next tremendously important thing that you should be thinking about. What you basically need is an inline filter to use the language known to the electronics community. You need an inline filter, but you can understand what that means, that in the process of the word moving from your heart or from your soul or from your brain to your tongue and your lips and your mouth, It has to pass through a filter, and you have to be able to say to yourself, honey or sting? And then you immediately suppress it and divert it to the trash bin if you decide it is the latter rather than the former. So it's it's sometimes very tempting. Sarcasm, hugely tempting. I am a lot less sarcastic than I used to be as I started working on myself a few years back to try and diminish the sarcastic element. I was, I was, a very, um, I was seduced into sarcasm by certain circumstances, and uh, I've, I've tried my hardest to get rid of it because all it does is hurt people. It stings, and it just doesn't make any sense at all. So the trick, of course, is when you are in rapid fire communication, uh, the trick is to be able to have such an efficient inline filter that on its journey from your brain to your mouth, you actually can trap it in time and divert it and still replace it with another word, which even if, if it is not honey, at least it is not a sting. Maybe it's a neutral word, and that's fine also. So um, those are very, very important things. Uh, Something else also is don't say things that your expression belies. Um, I remember when we first got married, uh, Susan Lappin, and she won't mind me saying this, uh, on a certain level, and very understandably, she resented my congregation because... we we married. She was only 21 when we married, and um, we we became a unit fairly quickly. That's not to say we didn't go through uh, the real challenges of the first year. Of course we did, but uh, at the same time, I was very devoted to my congregation, not, not surprisingly. It was a wonderful congregation made up of wonderful people. And my, I think my closest friends to this day are still people who were members of Pacific Jewish Center in Venice, California, uh, a few decades back. And, uh, and it was perfectly normal and perfectly natural that when I finished a Bible class, and I gave Bible class three nights a week, I, I taught from 7.30 to 9 p.m. And by the way, what's, what's interesting to note is that the audience was accustomed to listen and concentrate to nothing but me talking for 90 minutes. They were extraordinary people. And on top of that, I did not allow note-taking Right. I required that people went home and made up notes from memory that went during this. And I said, look, it might take you a year to get good at this, but then you're going to have an ability that nobody can take away from you that's going to be enormously valuable in almost every part of your lives. Uh, so get rid of this notion that comes from the university system that you're busy scribbling away in a notepad while the teacher is talking. Don't do that. Because listening in a focused kind of a way, to me, is much more important than taking notes. You can't do both at the same time. That you must know. Don't for a moment believe the nonsense that you are listening better because you're taking notes. No, you're not. You're trying to do two things at once, and the good Lord unfortunately decided to create us with no ability to multitask now you can try and do it but you just end up doing neither one very well and the the uh, attempt deducts about 20 or 15 IQ points from most people just uh, not permanently but while you're trying to do that does not work as anybody who knows who tries to do uh, email during a meeting you either do them both badly or you do one badly but you certainly don't do both things well at the same time so uh, people used to really listen And when they got home and started, not everybody, but many people then did try and take, write down notes of what the class had been. And by the way, when we left the congregation to move to the Pacific Northwest and embark on broadcasting and uh, and writing and uh, the American Alliance of Jews and Christians, um, we we had a farewell, and one of the most beautiful gifts I got was from a young couple. He's a, he was a lawyer, and uh, she was I think she was a wonderful housewife, uh, mother and wife. And they gave me their set of notes, or maybe it was a copy of it, of several years of my class, and it was an extraordinary piece of work, extraordinary, uh, because it was all done that night from memory. Anyway, why do I tell you all this? Because it was very common that when people got home, it might have been 10, 10, 15, 10 30, they're busy writing down their notes and they couldn't remember something. So they would think nothing of phoning me up. And so my phone would ring um, from 10.30 to midnight as people wanted to clarify on things. And I felt it was a privilege. I thought it was wonderful that people's devotion to the Bible study was so deep that they wanted to clarify points, and I was only too happy to be available. Well, that was while I was single, and then I got married to Mrs. Lappin, and she, in a way that was one hundred percent correct, and and I was was too blockheaded and rooted in my bachelor ways to even understand this by myself. She said no. By the time you come home, right, you, the class finishes 9.30 promptly. You still stand there and talk to people and answer questions till 10 o'clock. We get home 10.15. That's when we sit down for a light dinner because you don't eat before a class. And, uh, and that, that's our time from then onwards. It's ours. Uh, my next class began 6 a.m. And I used to do counseling from 5 to 6. So there wasn't even that much of the night left. She said, that's our time and the phone would ring and she would answer it but her voice would uh, make no leave no doubt whatsoever as to what she thought of the person calling and so i said to her I said, look susan i'm going to i'm i'm going to work at the at the uh, supply side i'm going to stop the calls coming but until then this is when i finally understood she was absolutely right uh, but until then with we're the rabbi. You have to answer warmly. She said, well, I, I don't I don't feel warm. And I said, yes, I know. She said, well, tell me what to say. I said, no, that doesn't work. What you need to do is as the phone starts ringing, spend three or four seconds putting a smile on your face. I know it's not going to be easy because you are irritated that they are ringing. Uh, put a smile on your face and then answer. And, of course, anybody who's tried this knows you sound quite different, even over the telephone, when you have a pleasant expression from when you don't. And, uh, and so this is another area that is worth paying attention to, and that is make sure that your words match your expression, or better yet, make your expression match the way that you want your words to sound. So try and control your face. Many people have a surprisingly inactive faces other people have extraordinarily expressive faces and many of them make a lot of money acting on the stage or in movies Uh, but they're also ordinary people with wonderfully expressive faces and and you know when you've been at, at a party or a social gathering with somebody like that that person she he or she is almost magnetic because their moving faces are really very exciting and you know don't you that our eyes are almost always drawn to movement And so when a face is completely immobile, it almost looks as if it's been Botoxed into utter immobility and been paralyzed into a locked expression, you know, it's just you just aren't looking at that person the same way and you don't don't listen to the person the same way. But when the expression is, is dynamic and keeps changing and it matches what's being said, it's almost irresistible. Magnetic is the only word I can think of. And so very much a part of speaking effectively is also making sure that the expression is going along with whatever else is happening um so uh please be aware of how vulnerable your spouse is to the words that you utter another thing is um being careful not only of what you say but to whom you're saying it betraying a confidence is a huge problem a huge problem what's an example of betraying a confidence um when a uh, husband Talks about his wife disrespectfully to other people, whether she's there or not. Even if it's in a joke, you know. And well, it depends if the old ball and chain will let me go with you on Wednesday night. Um, That doesn't make her feel good. Or when a wife speaks disrespectfully about her husband, a huge problem. That is a massive problem in the marriage. You're just looking at a surface floor. But I assure you that like a tumor, its roots go way down, way down deep. And extracting that bad tumor is painful, but it has to be done or it will kill the marriage. And so um, talking to your spouse is one thing talking about them is another one of the um, and and here you know one of the things susan is very careful about is that uh, i saw this one time a uh, a young woman um who susan was counseling and coaching um wanted to talk to her and this wasn't during a coaching session this was socially she wanted to talk to her about her husband and she started saying things about her husband and there were some other people around as well. And Susan stopped her immediately. You can't talk about your husband like that in public. What's the matter with you? Got to, it's out of the question. And so um, speaking about our spouses, and when it becomes particularly challenging, I should tell you, is if you are very close to your mother or father, talking about your spouse begins to feel almost like a natural thing. You know, your spouse says, well, how's so-and-so? Or how's your husband? Or how's your wife? Or by name. And what if you are particularly frustrated? You had to hold yourself in for a little bit because there's been something that uh, has been in the air between you. It hasn't been resolved. It hasn't been settled. And it's gnawing away at you. And now one of your parents gives you almost an open invitation to let fly. Really, really bad to take up that invitation, not something you really want to do at all. Now, here is what's so important to understand, and and perhaps this is the most important uh, point of this entire section of today's show, and that is, I want you to dwell on this, and I want you to absorb this until you not only believe that I'm telling you the truth intellectually, but you know that I'm telling you the truth. Even emotionally, you realize that this is true. And here it is. Please know that everything you say is being carefully listened to by someone else. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I'm going to say by God. Right? Everything you say is being carefully listened to by God. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what I was going to say. And that's That's obvious. Okay, everything you say, day or night, 24-7, is being carefully listened to by the government, the National Security Agency. Well, that may be true as well, but that's not what I'm talking about. So who do you think I'm talking about? Know that everything you say is being carefully listened to by your cell phone. (laughs) That's probably true as well, Uh, but it's also not what I'm talking about know that everything you say is being carefully listened to by you. That's right. Your ears hear everything that your mouth says. And what's really important to know and to understand is that you, as a complicated spiritual being called a human being, you have an inbuilt proclivity to believe things that your ears hear your mouth say. So you cannot overestimate the potential damage you do to yourself by saying things you shouldn't say, because your own ears hear what your own lips, mouth, and tongue say, and your ears carry that message right into your soul, right into your brain. Not that those two are synonymous, but for some people it'll be easy to understand if I say brain for other people are okay with soul uh, it doesn't matter basically into the core of your essence into the essence of your being your ears carry the message specifically what you when you hear other people say things those things go through a filter and that input filter asks little questions like is he telling the truth is it important for me to hear this is this valuable? and you know, and a lot of that never makes it into the core of your being. But when your ears hear your mouth and your lips and your tongue saying those things, well, of course, it trusts you. Your ears believe you. Your ears think everything you say is hugely important and valuable. So obviously, it carries everything it hears that comes from your own mouth right into the core of your being. Now, that is a very serious impact And that is perhaps one of the most important reasons that you have to pay enormous attention to everything that you're going to say. That's why that inline output filter is so very important. So those are the the cautions and the the negatives. What are the positives? Well, that's really a lot easier. What are the things to say? Um, Everything you say should have a purpose, right? Um, speaking bad about somebody, the only time that it's legitimate, that it's morally permissible to speak bad about somebody is if a potential marriage is in the offing, right? Uh, A young woman is uh, being courted by a young man. She's considering it very seriously. She is about to hitch her wagon to him. She's about to devote her life to him, and she comes to ask me, and she says, do you know of any reason why I should not go ahead with this, and if I know of a flaw, and I worry that she may not know about it, and not a, not a little immaterial, insubstantive thing, all right, but something which she ought to know about, and which if she did know about, could conceivably change her mind, I have to tell her. And then afterwards, and by the way, I've been in this situation, as you can imagine, of, as the rabbi of a busy congregation of young men and women. Uh, I've had this many times. And then the man comes to me and says, well, thanks a lot. You, you wrecked everything for me. And uh, I, I really thought I was marrying this woman. Everything was going to be good. Well, that's the last time I'm ever going to see you. I'm out of here. Uh, don't expect to see me in congregation or in synagogue because you ruined my life. And I have to answer, and I say, if you want me to stay silent and accept your uh, admonishment, I will, because I know that there's not much point in trying to uh, calm someone who is angry while he is angry. Uh, But if you will listen, I will be happy to tell you that it was not without careful consideration. I don't believe that I ruined your life. I think you did when you did the things I felt a need to tell her about. I think you made the mistake of not disclosing these things to her early on. He said, well, she wouldn't have gone out with me then. I said, well, then you had no right to ask her to go out with you under false pretenses. In some of those cases, the man pulled himself together and we remained friends. In others, he didn't and we didn't but that's the only time when you're allowed to speak negatively about somebody. The rest of the time, you really should have an inline filter, because you've got to know that whatever you say to Tom is what he suspects you'll also say to Jerry about him. You know what I mean? Right? You're talking to somebody, and you you repeat gossip, and you say, well, yeah, do you know what so-and-so did? And, and, And you feel good about this, because Unfortunately, the way the good Lord created us is to make us feel good while we're doing something horrible, although we'll feel bad about it much, much later, as opposed to the opposite. When we do something really good and positive, that's usually hard. It doesn't—doing so seldom makes us feel great, but later on we feel better. So doing something wrong—by the way, you can almost always tell if you feel too good about doing something, you should check into it carefully to make sure it morally measures up to your standards just because we very often find ourselves attracted to the idea of speaking gossip, telling over, repeating stories about somebody, talking about other people. There generally is not a lot of reason to talk about people, right? Talking about things is far better than talking about people. Talking about ideas, even better than talking about things. But, there are really very few instances, right? Mothers and fathers, parents talk about their children. That, that's for educational and up, obviously makes sense. But uh, in ordinary social intercourse, very little reason whatsoever to be talking about another human being. You might say, well, how about if you talk nicely about say, How about if you go to Tom and say, man, that Jerry is a great guy. The danger there is that very often Tom at least feels resentful deep inside and sometimes may even respond by saying to you, essentially, well, you may think Jerry's a great guy, but I've known him for longer than you have. And now the two of you are off on a little gossip spree because Tom is now going to tell you all the things you didn't know about Jerry. So that's why it's even dangerous to say to somebody, oh, what a great guy he is, uh, because very often that stimulates a response which you don't want to hear. So uh, bear bear this in mind as well. Uh, Among the, the negatives, yeah, very much so. But the positive things to say, things that are encouraging and optimistic and uplifting, and you certainly have an obligation to the people you live with and the people you work with not to bring them down. You know, there are times when things in a society go downhill. There are times when Government makes the most hideous mistakes, either in legislation or in tolerating public bad behavior. Uh, There are times when uh, uh, people make the world seem like a threatening place. And yet, we have an obligation to the people with whom we live not to surrender to pessimism, and not to submit to hopelessness, because then you just bring people down. Speech, mouth, voice. We have the ability to be hugely uplifting, and we can do that for the people around us. You know, often I often quote Winston Churchill, and uh, and if you think about his speeches, the, the regular speeches he gave in the... Uh, House of Parliament, or he gave over the BBC. Um, All of these speeches were honest, but incredibly uplifting. They were filled with courage and with fortitude and with hope. They were very realistic, but they are wonderful speeches to study because they really teach you how to use your mouth effectively. I have given you the points in this discussion. He illustrates everything I'm talking about very effectively indeed. So that is then a little bit of what it is that I want to recommend that you should be thinking about. Um, Exercise its wonderful. Absolutely. Go ahead and exercise and run or or go to the gym or do push-ups or whatever it is you want to do, you should do. And stop those midnight excursions to the refrigerator. That's also great. Uh, But exercising your body is one thing. Exercising your soul is another. And the essence of our spirit is captured in our speech and in our talking. And so using our mouths for uplifting purposes and learning to restrict our verbal usage for the negative These will make you more effective, make you more successful, make you happier. Deep down, you will find these things to fill you with an almost subconscious, but at the same time, almost palpable surge of goodness inside you when you feel that you have mastered your mouth, when you have successfully dominated your own ability for speech. The website is rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, there is a store there where you will find a new product, and that is an, a download of both audio and video material that you can literally download while you're having dinner and have in your library within an hour or two or less depending on how quick your internet connection is. Um, now, I had an interesting exchange with somebody. Um, I think it was on our Facebook page, Friends of Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin, but you'll pardon me if it's not there. I'm not absolutely sure it was either, or else it was on our website uh, in in uh, one of the discussions we had. Uh, but, but somebody said, I really, I wanted to recommend somebody to listen to your podcast, But um, I didn't have the ability to cut off the sale at the end where you talk about your product, and I didn't feel good about forwarding it to somebody who who would then be subject to your uh, promoting your products. And I then proceeded to explain to the person that he had been very badly and negatively impacted by the culture. The idea that somehow selling something is a negative. That somehow the fact that I am trying to get you to part with a few dollars is a negative. No, I'm not using force, right? I would never point a gun at you and say your money or your life. I would never extract money from you by force, but money from you in exchange for good that I do you. And obviously, to be determined only by you, good that exceeds in value the amount of dollars that I am requesting for it. And if it doesn't measure up to that criterion, you won't buy it. That's pretty obvious. And uh, I tried to explain to the person that popular culture out there has successfully indoctrinated him into believing that there is something sordid about money. Do I want money? Of course I do, because every single dollar proves that I've brought value to another human being. Otherwise, why would you have given it to me? So there's, there's nothing shameful about advertising. There is nothing uncomfortable about showing your wares. There is nothing squalid about telling people how you can improve their lives. All of that is good, and that you should feel totally comfortable forwarding this podcast, this entire show, along with what I consider to be the very valuable and important sale at the end, yes, it shouldn't worry you in the least. So head over to rabbiDanielappen.com. Look at the... By the way, you can do a lot of things. You can contact us uh, through that website. Uh, You can comment on something that has happened. Um, usually things we're speaking about in our weekly mailings. You can subscribe to them as well. Thought Tools, Susan's Musings, our Ask the Rabbi column. And you'll find a very interesting and lively uh, conversation going on in the comment section after every particular uh, episode of whichever column it is. So all of that, but also you can go and see what we have on offer. You can take a look at those products and resources, which might dramatically improve your life or the lives of people you are close to who will receive it through you. Now, if it doesn't do that, then it doesn't do that, right? No harm, no foul, no problem. But I would be remiss in not telling you about them. So uh, what we've done is we've bundled together All our audio and visual products, not the books, right, because you get them separately, not the physical books, but all the audio and visual products, videos and audio programs have been packaged in a download, one particular package, if you like. And we've never done that before, but by all means, go along, take a look at it. And you might find, particularly if you're spending 40 minutes a day doing cardio, well, then you will definitely be happy to have so much audio material that you can listen to at your convenience while you exercise. So all of that's at rabbidaniellappin.com. And that, my friends, you happy warriors, every one of you, all of us together, the band of happy warriors, Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you for promoting it. Thanks for exposing other people to it. Yes, even with the odious cell at the end. Uh, Thank you for telling other people about the show and helping to spread the listenership as widely as you have been doing. I deeply appreciate that. I want to wish you, till we're together next week, a week of great times with your faith, with your family, with your physical fitness with your finances, and with your friends. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.